What is up, podcast fam? Welcome back to the Energy Exchange Podcast, where I sit down with some of the brightest minds in health and wellness and really extract knowledge, wisdom, so that you can implement these different practices and protocols into your life. And I really believe that life is an energy exchange. We're constantly giving, we're constantly receiving. And the more that we can create synchronicity with our energy exchanges, the more our lives will be fulfilled with joy, with abundance, with happiness. And especially with what's going on in the world right now, it's so important that we think outside the box and find ways to really connect with people virtually. And I really encourage you to think about your friends, your family, and see what you can do to exchange energy with those people. I'm so excited for us to be on this journey together. I genuinely appreciate you so much. And let's get in to today's show. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Energy Exchange Podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I am so pumped for today's show with my guy, with my boy, with my brother, Mr. Alvy Thompson. And Alvy, actually, I didn't even get a bio from Alvy, but I'll give you a quick bio uh, in my own words right now, improvising. Alvy is a powerful, transformational coach and leader who's making a huge impact through health, through wellness, through helping people recognize that they have so much more potential than they think. And he is really transforming the health and wellness game and impacting our community here in South Florida in such a big way. So I'm so excited for you to hear his story and his amazing insights. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me. That was such a a wonderful introduction, heartfelt introduction. I appreciate that so much, my brother. Hell yeah. So uh, interesting times that we're experiencing. I gave a quick little bio just now, but I'd like to give you an opportunity just to kind of share a little quick snippet of your story and how you got here right now doing the incredible work that you are. For sure. I appreciate that. As I look back on my life and I reflect on it, I look at it as a ton of transformation, shifting, changing, growing, evolving. And a lot of my growth stems from my relationship with my mom growing up. So my mom was my rock, single parent, took care of my brother and I without any help. And it was so interesting that we were so close when we were young and she did everything for me yet it was almost to a fault Mm. she was in this position where she always wanted to fill up my cup and my brother's cup and everyone else's cup without filling up her own and as i was growing older and i moved back from college and i was living with her again i had so much frustration that she wouldn't take care of herself and that in my mind at the time she was just trying to baby me And her treating me that way led me to have a lot of resentment towards her. At that time, I didn't understand love languages and that her love language was acts of service. 
So she loved to perform for others. And I used to get so much frustration that she would do that with me instead of with herself. Fast forward a couple years, our relationship started to get pretty rocky. I had a lot of resentment towards her for not taking her health as serious as in my mind I thought she should. At that point, I was a great personal trainer. I was a nutrition coach. I was helping clients and dozens of people improve their health, yet I couldn't help my mom Mm -hmm. be healthier. And I realized looking back how much I tried to force her to change. I wanted her to do it my way. It wasn't good enough what she was doing. And long story short, she ended up going for a surgery that she wasn't healthy enough to get. She had gastric bypass surgery, you know, a decade before, and she finally started to lose a lot of the weight when I was living with her. She had this extra skin that she was so self-conscious about. She felt that because she had that extra skin, if she was to get rid of it, she would feel better about herself, that that external circumstance was going to help her find more inner peace. Mm-hmm. And while she was in the process of wanting to get this surgery, she was going to all these different doctors and all these doctors were telling her like, hey, Vicky, you're not a healthy enough candidate for surgery. Mind you, at that time, my mom was obese, high blood pressure, diabetic. She was on and and frankly, she was addicted to a bunch of opiates and painkillers that she was prescribed by her doctor. So she was in no type of shape to get to go under anesthesia and have surgery. However, my mom wasn't taking no for an answer. She went, kept talking to doctors until she finally found somebody in Aventura to say yes. And this doctor essentially said that in order for her to, or in order for him to repair a hernia that she had, he had to go in and remove all the skin around her midsection. Mm. So in my mom's case, that was a win. She signed up, getting ready to go for the surgery, Literally the day before the surgery, she was having second thoughts. And in my head, I'm like, great, don't do it. Like, I can help you. There's so many other natural ways to do it, blah, 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 blah. She wasn't having it. She still wanted to have the surgery. We got into a huge argument. And unfortunately, that was the last conversation that I had with my mom. She went in for the surgery, woke up out of it, called a couple of family members, saying that she kind of felt out of breath. And shortly after that, she went into this episode where she couldn't breathe. The staff at the hospital induced her into a coma and she never came out of it. And she slowly died over the span of like 12 weeks. And it was at that moment after that time where I had so much shame and guilt that I couldn't meet my mom where she was at. I had all the knowledge about exercise, I had all the knowledge about nutrition, yet I didn't have the skill set to meet her where she was and help her in a way that was going to be effective, that she was going to enroll in and feel engaged and feel great about. So I had a lot of shame around that and and I really blamed myself for her death. And, you know, since after that time, right after she died, maybe six months later, I realized I wanted to build this skill set. So I went in and I did a human potential coaching course Mm -hmm. that was really focused on presence-based coaching, really meeting somebody where they're at. And through that coaching program, through my deep inner work, through programs like gratitude training and plant medicine ceremonies and all of that, 
I've come to a point now where I work as a holistic growth coach, where I effectively help people find their ideal balance of physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual health so that they can live a healthy and fulfilling life. I realized through my mom that, you know, the way that she loved to give and be there for others is what allows me to do the type of work that I do. And it allows me to understand why I want to give at such a high level. And I realize now, no matter who I'm working with, no matter who I'm talking to, I get to meet that person where they're at in order to effectively help them at the highest level possible. Mm. Wow. I appreciate you sharing that. And that is, that's a powerful story. And I think there's so many lessons that we can extract from that. Uh, I mean, so I think, I think there's so many people listening and tuning in right now who might have an estranged relationship with a parent or with a sibling. And that story right there just shows like you really never know the last conversation you're going to have with someone. How are you going to leave it? What terms is it going to be on? I'm wondering in those 12 weeks where your mom was really struggling after the surgery, were you able to like communicate with her effectively? So this is the thing. During that time, she was placed in this coma. She had a trachea, so essentially a mm -hmm. tube um, that, that attaches to her throat. And she wasn't able to communicate at all. However, there was one time where we were in the hospital and we made eye contact and I was sitting there talking to her and I felt like she could really see me. Like she couldn't speak, but that she was there. And that was the first time in weeks. And, you know, I just started bawling, crying, apologizing, telling her how much she loves me or telling, telling her how much I love her. Um, me acknowledging how much I know that she loves me and how much she's done for me my entire life. And I felt like in that moment, there was a little bit of understanding there where we did get to communicate. However, that was the only time that we had that opportunity before mm. she passed. How have your, how's your mindset shifted in regards to how you handle and approach relationships with friends, with family since that experience with your mom? Number one is really valuing them, like valuing the relationship, valuing the perf the person and knowing that they're already perfect whole and complete and not taking this previous approach of oh their worthiness or how i value them is based off of my perception of what they should be doing because even when i look at my transformation before she passed away and i was learning about a better way to eat a better way to move a better way to think i would try to just throw that on people almost like i was trying to like push religion on somebody and I've realized like that's super annoying and not effective. So because of that, I truly make sure that I value the person that I'm with. And when I'm spending time with somebody, I'm being as present as possible and creating a space where we can be open, we can be honest, we can be loving, and we can do all those things in a way where we're both comfortable with being in each other's presence, never feeling forced. Mm, I love that because I know I'm guilty of definitely in past relationships trying to project my beliefs on them or trying to change that person. And a lot of times, like you, you express with your mom, it gives them the feeling that they're not good enough how they are. That uh, leads to different 
issues regarding worthiness and shame. And that leads to my next question, which is how were you able to overcome those feelings of guilt and shame when it came to your mom and having that sour taste in your mouth about that final interaction you had before the surgery took place? That's a great question. What was really effective for me was during the first night of an ayahuasca ceremony where I was sitting down and I was having all of these visions of all of the amazing times that we had together. Like it took me right back to childhood. And I remember being wrapped up in the blanket, feeling like my mom was like hugging me and holding me Mm. the whole time. This experience allowed me to look back and understand how much my mom did for me. Because before that point, a lot of my focus was on all the things she wasn't doing for herself, why she wasn't still alive that day. It was basically focused on all of the negative aspects as opposed to looking back and really focusing on all of the amazing things that happened that by far trump all of the negative things that went on. So that was an amazing healing tool for me. And my company is called You Can Too. And at first when I made that name, it, it came from a negative energy. I called my company You Can Too because of all the times I heard my mom say she can't. Mm. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't exercise like that. I can't eat this way. I can't do this thing. And we, you know how powerful the word is. The second you say you can't do something, you're not going to even try. Yeah. So my whole thing with You Can Too is that I wanted people to understand like, hey, if, if he or she can do it, you can too. Anything that anyone else is doing, it's possible for you as well. So after I had this ayahuasca experience and I really reflected on my life, I started seeing the similarity of how much my mom gave, how selfless she was to a fault, yet how selfless she was and how much she wanted to give and help others. And I realized like, oh, that's where I get that from. Mm. I get that that feeling that I want to give for others, help provide for them, help them take their life to a higher level. The distinction being that I can only give from what's running over my full cup. And that's why I prioritize self-care. I prioritize my nutrition, my sleep, my relationships, what I'm reading, what I'm writing, like everything. I'm so conscious about it because I understand the better that I am and the more full I am, then I can powerfully and authentically help others. Mm, I love that. And that that's that's so true. And I think especially with women out there listening, especially when you're talking about single moms, their main concern is providing and giving and making sure that there's food on your plate, that there's clothes on your body. And oftentimes they're neglecting themselves. And... You know, I think my mom's definitely, definitely at times like neglected her health and and really focusing on my brother, myself, my dad. So just to call to action for anyone listening there, this is like a really good opportunity to check in with yourself and see how you're showing up for yourself. You know, what are you doing to prioritize your health? What are you doing to make sure that you mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically are grounded and engaged and connected because ultimately that's going to allow you the opportunity to give from a place of like alvi explained an overflowing cup 
which I think is such a powerful concept. I appreciate that. And just to add a little bit to that, understanding as well that you filling your cup is not selfish. Hmm. It's necessary. Like in order for you to truly be there for somebody else, you get to be there for yourself first. And I always use the airplane analogy because it's so true. You have to secure your mask before you secure somebody else's because you can't help somebody if you're dead. You can't help somebody if you have no energy. You can't help somebody if you're completely drained. So understanding and flipping the paradigm where you understand that working on yourself isn't selfish, it's necessary. Mm. Yeah, 100%. So the plant medicine experience for you was a really powerful starting point. I'm wondering, and, and I've talked about my experiences with plant medicines as well, and I think they're such an effective, powerful tool. And if you're thinking or considering of doing those things, definitely do your research and ask yourself why, what's the intention, what's the purpose, what do you hope to gain from the experience before just jumping in. Uh, I'm also wondering what are maybe a couple actionable steps that people can take right now if they're experiencing a lot of guilt, shame uh, from something uh, going back to their childhood or a relationship or maybe uh, an insecurity they have about themselves. Do you have any actionable steps people can take in this moment? Yeah, I think a great actionable action to take is journaling. And I love freeform writing. And I'll just pop up and I'll think of something. And in this case, an actionable prompt to take is what is the emotion or the feeling that I'm experiencing when I think about that relationship? When I think about that friend or that brother, sister, colleague, whoever it is that I'm holding resentment towards, what's that about? And then once you get that all out there, read it back and reflect and see what in there is actually in your control. Mm. What, what's the story that you're making up? And from there, can you separate the facts of what actually happened versus the story you're making up about it? Because in my experience, myself and clients in the past, they talk about a situation which is a fact, what actually happened, yet everything after that, that story is all their interpretation. And a lot of times that interpretation is there to make them right, make them feel safe, make them comfortable. And at the end of the day, it's just a survival context, right? It's there to make us feel good, feel justified. So my thing is journal, reflect, see what the story is, see what the fact is. And then on top of all of that, practice forgiveness. Mm. Forgiveness is not for the other person. Forgiveness is for you. And to forgive somebody doesn't mean that you're losing your power. It doesn't mean that you're being weak or you're being soft. You don't even have to tell the other person that you forgive them. Forgiveness is for you. And it releases such an enormous weight off of your shoulders. And that's what happened to me. When I started practicing forgiveness, I forgave the doctor who just saw a dollar sign in my mom and wanted another surgery to make some money. Forgave him. I forgave my mom for going through with the surgery. I forgave myself for essentially beating myself up for all of the thoughts that I had after her death 
And I forgave myself for the way that I treated my mom before that, where I wasn't meeting her where she was at. I wasn't being a loving son. And I was essentially conditionally loving her when I thought she was doing the quote unquote right things. Hmm. So forgiveness is powerful. And that's something you can do in a blink of an eye. Yeah, that's that's so powerful, too. And like reading the mastery of love, that's a that's a huge component, too. And ultimately, that forgiveness is a precursor for gratitude when you can when you can actually come to a place where you are grateful for the things that happened, understanding that it helped shape your story and your reality now. And all of these obstacles, all of these adversities just build resilience and they create courage and confidence. So I love those steps, like building awareness. That's the thing is like, once you become aware of these stories and these contexts that you've been operating from, then you have the power to take ownership and control the situation and change that narrative. And by the time we're 30 years old, 95% of our behaviors and actions are subconscious. Right. Like we're not even aware of our thoughts and those thoughts manifest into feelings and emotions. Those feelings and emotions lead to certain behaviors and habits and that's your personality. And we have to really address, like you said, what are the things you're telling yourself? And what are those words? What are those thoughts? And like Alvi said, you know, putting pen to paper and taking a moment to really pause and reflect. And that's gonna provide you a space to really build comprehension and understanding so you're able to create a brighter future and stop recreating the same future based on that one single event or moment. Right. Yeah, so um, again, I really appreciate you sharing, sharing all that stuff with your mom. And hopefully, I'm hoping that if you're listening right now, you know, it might not be your mom that you've experienced something like that, but maybe it's a friend or maybe it's a colleague or a sibling that right now things aren't like you'd like them to be. They're not on the greatest terms and maybe that's weighing on you. Understanding that that awareness and that communication and that forgiveness is going to open up so many possibilities for you to not only enhance that relationship with the other person, but also enhance that relationship with yourself and get rid of some of that guilt and shame you might be experiencing. Um, And something else I definitely want to touch with you is what we're experiencing right now in the world, especially in this country the last couple weeks. Uh, Really, really interesting times that are can be uncomfortable to talk about. And I think right now, like we spoke about earlier, like a lot of conversations are coming to the surface, which I think is so huge. So when you're talking about these protests that have been going on the last couple of weeks, following the murder of George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, um, Breonna Taylor, right? Correct. Um, You know, navigating this world as a black man like yourself I'm just curious, you know, I know there's a lot of feelings and emotions you're experiencing. I would love for you to share with the listeners what the last couple of weeks have been like for you. The, the, it's such a great question and it's such a, for me, a loaded question. 
when I reflect on the last two weeks, I've experienced a whirlwind of emotions. I, last week I was, I was angry, I was sad, I was jaded, I was upset. I, honestly, like last week put me in a space energetically that I honestly haven't been or haven't experienced since my mom's death. Mm-hmm. So we're talking five years. And it's, it's so interesting to reflect and look back on it because, man, we're in such an interesting time right now where I view all these deaths, especially George Floyd's death, as us as a consciousness, as a society of the United States, reaching a tipping point where eventually people are just like, yo, fuck this, like enough is enough. And we're seeing a lot of anger. We're, we're seeing... We're seeing the peaceful protest. We're seeing the rioting. Overall, we're seeing a time where everyone's like, hey, this isn't right. And for me, I always pride myself on coming from a place of positivity, always trying to find the silver lining in things. And for me now, especially this week, I've actually experienced more feelings of hope that now we are having more of the conversations. There were a lot of white people in previous times, even, you know, 2016, Ferguson, Mike Brown's death, where a lot of people were quiet, right? A lot of white people were quiet. And now I see hope because people are having the conversations. So it's been interesting to go through these series of emotions where it's like, you know, I'm super upset, I'm super mad, I'm angry, and then I'm also hopeful. So I felt all of that. and. As a result, it actually took away from my self-care last week. I found myself getting so caught up in all the Instagram posts, all of the media posts, all of the different stories that are going on. And it literally led me to getting less sleep, not eating as well as I usually do, not meditating, not anything, just super consumption mode. Mm-hmm. And now this week and just kind of getting back to my center and finding my equilibrium again, I'm hopeful that we're going to be able to create change. And we're seeing it already. Like all of these protests, the rioting, everything that's going on has led to all four officers in the George Floyd case getting charged. It has led to people taking like their dollars that they were spending with the Minneapolis Police Department and saying like, all right, we don't stand with this no more. It has a lot of white people having uncomfortable conversations with their family members, with their friends, whether their friends are white, black, Hispanic, Asian, Caribbean, whoever they are. And we're in this mode now where I see a lot of change is going to get done. And that inspires me. So it's been a whirlwind overall. Yeah. These last two weeks. What up, fam? Sorry to interrupt today's show, but this is really important to me because when I was a kid, My grandpa got Alzheimer's and I remember visiting him in Atlanta, Georgia, and he no longer remembered my name. And this experience really resonated with me. From that point forward, I knew I was gonna do everything in my power to preserve my brain health, my cognition, my focus, my memory. And that's why these shrooms are so powerful because they're all fruiting body extracts designed designed to really boost your memory, cognition, focus, while also improving your immunity. And 
the beta-glucans that are in there are what really drive your white blood cell count up and support a strong immune system. So whether this is for you, your parent, your grandparent, I really encourage you to take action and prioritize your brain health. And for a limited time, I have a super special offer for you. When you get the ultimate shrooms, you get a free ultimate elixir. Yes, you get a free ultimate elixir. This is 25 organic superfoods and adaptogens designed to aid your metabolism, your digestion, and create an alkaline and detoxified body. There's no more powerful way to start your day than with the ultimate elixir and the ultimate shrooms. So check this out. Go to liveultimate.com slash podcast slash live healthy and you're going to get both of them for the price of one okay it's time to make that commitment to your health make that commitment to your wellness go to liveultimate.com slash podcast slash live healthy and now let's get back to the show yeah it's it's been super interesting to watch kind of how things have evolved uh I was kind of late in terms of like finding out about everything. Like I didn't even, cause I, I'm really just kind of in my own cocoon sometimes. I didn't even hear about the George Floyd thing until maybe three days after it happened and then immediately start seeing the protests. And what really caught my attention about the protests was how, how widespread they became. Right. Like it wasn't just like the streets of Atlanta or LA or Miami or New York. It was literally like every town in between. Absolutely. And there's very few things that a majority of Americans will come together for a common cause to stand up for something that they believe in and to see all types of ethnicities, colors, come together and speak their voice and 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 voice their concern was encouraging like you said and now it's like i'm curious to know what's next you know for me personally i'm committed to continue having the conversations and learning more about the situation because i admit like my knowledge about the history of race relations in this country is very, very limited. So I'm committed to learning more. And I'm also committed to like acknowledging uh, the white privilege that I've grown up with, you know, that sometimes you're so in your own bubble that you don't recognize you don't have that level of understanding or compassion that like, oh my God, I can just wake up, I can go outside, I can go for a run, I can uh, do all of these things. I can drive, stop, go, play basketball, wear a hoodie, go for a run, listen to music, like whatever it is that I want to do, these simple nuanced things throughout the day without thinking twice. Right. And um, to be honest, like in my 29 years, like I've never really felt like fearful for my life in regards of like, the police or the cops or anything like that. I've always felt this level of safety and protection. Um, so I'm, I'm coming to grips with that privilege. And I'm curious to know, like for you, what, what do you think the most powerful things that 
you know, people with a platform, uh, white people uh, can do in this time. And then like also moving forward now that the protests are like kind of over with, what what do you think is next? Right, right. And I don't even think the protests are over, to, mm. to be honest. They're, they're still going on and they still have a place. What I would say is going forward for people, I, I can only speak from my experience and what what I think is important, right? So I don't speak for anybody but myself. I don't speak for any other black person, for a white person. I, I speak from my experience and from what I think is right. The first thing I'll say is when it comes to white people, it's like you said, it's taking the time to recognize the privilege that you have. I think there's a misconception of what privilege means to some people. I've had discussions, and this is more so in the past, less now, where people hear white privilege and the first thing they say is like, oh, I've worked hard for everything that I have. Like, no one's given me anything. And I get that rhetoric and I'm not saying that you didn't work hard or that you don't deserve the things that you've worked for. When I talk about white privilege, it's just like how you said, Jeremy, it's realizing that there's ways that you get to experience life that you don't even have to consciously worry about in order to simply survive or in order to progress in society, to not have certain labels behind you that causes discrimination. Mm. So I think that's number one, is just recognizing it. And then two, and I've been having a bunch of conversations with people, it's, it's literally taking the time to have these uncomfortable conversations around racial injustice, police brutality, white privilege, all of these different things, because when we start to converse and we start to talk about these things, now we can create understanding. And I know you mentioned this in your last podcast, understanding how important listening is. Mm. Listening to understand, not listening simply to respond right. or listening to form your own like judgment and you know work to be right. Because that's not what this is about. It's really more so about opening up the conversation and creating a space where people can learn and people can understand what's going on. And granted, I think a big reason why I burnt out last week and I felt so tired, part of it was that I was engaging in every single conversation that I could. Mm. So I think it's, it's important for white people, black people, everybody to understand is you get to do research on your own. Like there's so many websites, resources out there. One, for instance, is whenwestandtogether.com that has so many resources on anti-racism and fighting it. So that's a big, big, big aspect of this is going out on your own and finding these resources. And don't just find it from white people, but also find it from black people and not just black people, but black people from all different backgrounds. Yeah. Because there's all different types of privilege. Like I understand that I have a certain level of privilege because I went to an institution like Georgetown. I understand that I have certain privilege because I am in the health and wellness space, which is generally very white. 
So I get access to different resources and tools that the average person doesn't. So when we talk about privilege, understand that there's levels to it, even though white privilege is probably the highest in my opinion. So I think that's important. And as black people, I think it's so important for us to take time for ourselves during this time. Like, like step away from social media at times, step away from mainstream media at times, like work on yourself, rest, get sleep, eat well, because this fight is a marathon. Mm. It's not a sprint. And to think that, you know, it's not about just what happens this week, next month, next year, but like 10 years down the road from now, like 30, 40 years down the road, we're talking to our grandchildren, you know, they're going to ask us like, they'd be like, yo, like, pop, what did you do back in those days when in 2020, when all that stuff was going on? And do you want to be somebody that tells your grandchild that you were just sitting on the sideline? Or do you want to talk about your experience and how you were an agent of change? So this is going to take time to happen and understand no matter who you are, this is going to be messy. Like there's no perfect way to have the conversation. There's no perfect point of view. I don't think there's one answer to this. Like this is deep and complex. And because of that, it's going to be so important to educate yourself, especially Mm -hmm. white people. I love that. Yeah, I think that's those are all really important points. What what would you say other than other than, you know, really diving deeper into self-care if like for the black community right now? What are some other things that maybe you'd call to action for them? Uh, maybe in regards to the youth, um, parents. I'm just I, I, I just I want to. I, I think a lot of people are presenting, you know, obviously the problems going on, which those need to be recognized and identified. But you and I are all about at least offering some actionable steps. Like, are there any other things that you think are important for for the black community to really dive into right now? Yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of us, it's it's also educating ourselves and seeing how did we, not not how do we get to this point, but it's like, how do we get out of it? And I think one of the biggest things for the black community, it's, it's how do we generate wealth? And how do we create money within ourselves? How do we support our own businesses? Because it doesn't happen very often and it happens least in the black community. If anyone listening to this gets a chance, I highly recommend researching Dr. Claude Anderson He's a black man. He's the author of uh, Powernomics. And he gave some really amazing eye-opening stats to me where we talk about money and how it's spent within communities. So he talks about the black community and our money doesn't bounce between us on average, not one time. Meaning we get money and then we, uh, and we immediately spend it somewhere else. Right. And someone else's economy. Right. So it's like we get money and then we go buy the Gucci belt or we get money and we go to Whole Foods to shop. Right. Or we get money, we go wherever, Target, whatever it is. Whereas he gives the example of you know, Hispanic people on average, their money bounces, you know, four to six times within the community before it leaves. Mm. We talk about the average white American 
that money bounces within themselves like 10 to 12 times or maybe it was 8 to 12 times before it leaves. Mm. We talk about Asian communities. Their money bounces somewhere from 14 to 16 times. So what would that, what would be an example of those 14 to 16 times? Like how would that look? So say like if you've ever been to, say you've been in New York. Right. And you know how they have a Chinatown. Yeah. The Chinese people in Chinatown buy their stuff like from each other. Got like it. they go to the Chinese market. Right. right. They go to the Chinese dry cleaner. Right. They go to the Chinese whatever. Right. And that's where the money keeps circulating. Yeah. Right. And then if you think about the Jewish community, we're both Jewish. Yeah. Right. Think about the Jewish community. That money bounces within each other 18 plus times mm-hmm. on average. And think about that when we look at like, especially here in Miami, how strong the, the Miami Federation is, how strong the Jewish community is, all the different yeah. schooling, like all of that. It's an example of it. And, you know, Dr. Claude Anderson speaks on this, and this is going to sound controversial, but he really says how um, segregation, while, you know, this integration was supposed to be the answer, when a lot of this integration happened, a lot of black businesses essentially went away, Mm. right? There were no more black bus drivers and black owned uh, busing systems. Yeah. A lot of these schools that, you know, people, black people got integrated into, 75% went to white schools, the other 25% went to like a technical school essentially. So all of the black teachers and educators essentially got fired. Mm. So understanding that when these things happen, we actually lost a lot of our economy that we were building. And it, it, it almost sounds problematic in a sense. It almost sounds different because we're always talking about integration and being involved and you know now today in 2020 you know the way it looks or what we would hope integration would look like is you know at the top level when we're talking about c-level positions at these fortune 500 companies it's like how many of them are filled with black people Hmm. right we talk about you know the education system we're talking about you know presidents of schools and just all these different levels of authority they're very white spaces right so it's like what can we do as black people to infiltrate those positions and get integrated to those positions? It actually takes the help of our white allies to make that happen because we can't just get there ourselves. So that, that's just a, a long roundabout answer of saying that it's, it's complex and there's a lot that we all get to do. Yeah, and I mentioned uh, previous times about the work that you and I do on Wednesdays, it's been shelved the last few months with everything going on, but the work that we are doing with the middle school boys at Boys Club, and I think it's pretty apparent there is when you ask a lot of those kids, hey, like, what do you wanna do? Like, what are your dreams? And a lot of them are, you know, I wanna play pro football, or I wanna be a rapper, or, uh, you know, I wanna, those are the most common answers, right? And there's very few that see any other way out to provide for their family, to get out of their current situation. And it's almost like they're in survival mode from the get-go. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like we were talking about, it's like, you know, that's great. And we're, we're, we're going to support you with your dreams to do those things. And they're, they're possible. But but there's also so much more possible. 
Absolutely. Right? Like you could be the one eventually owning the team, you know? And, and I think, you know, for me, that's where I feel like I can make the biggest impact is really working with the youth and letting them know and providing them those resources, providing them with that information that they might not be getting exposed to at school or at home. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it is important to be in a position to work with the kids like we were doing before the whole pandemic started. And the makeup of the middle school, I mean, I would say it's majority, well, I mean, like 50, 60 percent black and a lot like 30 percent Hispanic, maybe something yeah. like that. And like you said, a lot of these kids don't know what's possible because they've never seen anything else. And one of the things that I go by is that you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't see anybody who is an entrepreneur, who is a venture capitalist, who is a lawyer, who is a doctor, who is an executive, who is any different position, if you don't see anyone that looks like you in those positions, how would you know that that's possible? So I think exposure is really important. And I also think, too, it's it's really getting better resources in the schools. Like, if you think about most places, public schools get funded based off of the property taxes that mm. are in their city. So if somebody's in a city that doesn't have um, a lot of expensive homes, their resources are severely limited to other neighborhoods that like Weston that has a bunch of money so that their schools get a bunch of funding Mm -hmm. right so there's a huge gap there in resources and some of these things look like little things but imagine the books like when I went to school I was lucky to live in Weston and you know it's mostly Hispanic white it's basically like 90% everything but black right the 10% is black and I didn't realize the luxury that I had of having like something small like books in the school and my own like home books and not having to bring them back and forth mm-hmm. whereas like on the opposite side what is it like if you know people have to use their books to like put in like the furnace to keep themselves warm mm-hmm. you know what i mean like these are things that they, they seem extreme yet they happen yeah and and i think it's really about like resources and like redistributing resources and say like okay these neighborhoods that don't have that type of money it's like, how do we put more resources into them so that they can have all the education that they're looking for, that they can have people come in, that they can have programs? Like, I think all of that's very important uh, going forward as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. I never realized that about like school funding. Yeah. So it's all about the property taxes of the district or of the city or town. Right, of the city, like yeah. the city that you live, yeah. Mm, and that's why some schools, districts are just, they have that reputation of being like super high level or vice versa. Right. Mm, that's really interesting, yeah. And also, curious to know, um, we talked a little bit about, you know, what white people can do now, what black people, what everyone can do, as you said, as a conscious collective to improve this situation, not just now but three years five years ten years down the road what about black men in particular 
because I feel like they uh, have a lot of influence and a lot of impact. And I'm wondering, growing up with just a single mom, like how was that dichotomy? How was that environment growing up in terms of not necessarily having that male role model to lean on? Did you have someone to lean on other than, uh, was it a teacher, mentor? What was that experience like? Yeah, so when I was young, my male role model was my grandfather. Mm. And my grandfather is a white man. He, I mean, he would be in the sun all the time, and he's literally as dark as me, but like a red tint. So a lot of people thought he was black and thought he was my dad. But yeah, I didn't have a lot of black male role models coming up. Like, I really didn't. And it wasn't until I got to Georgetown and I became a member of Omega Sci Fi my fraternity that I really realized how important black leadership is Mm. and especially you know black male leadership for other black males and it was till that time I started getting mentors who were much older than me who were in those spaces that I could look at and be like oh my god like these are supreme court justices these are high level lawyers these are doctors these are all these different people that had such a high impact on society that were in my fraternity that I didn't even know existed beforehand. And it's tough, like, as black men, like, like I think it is important, like, you know, eventually I'm going to be a father. And as a black father, it's like, I know I have a responsibility to navigate this, this tough situation of being a black man. Like, like, it's literally knowing that I have to carry myself in such a way that is going to ensure that I'm not discriminated against like overtly or that I might have to work a lot harder to get into certain spaces or I have to work that much harder to be respected in a certain industry because it's dominated by a different color, right? So when it comes to like raising kids, like it's hard. Like this, is, like, like this question you specifically asked is so deep and it's so nuanced and I can really only speak for myself, but if you think about after Jim Crow and we start to transition into like mass incarceration, think about all these jails that had quotas to be filled, mm. right? And essentially, it was all black men filling these quotas. It's like black people make up, what is it, like 12% of the population yet we make up 40% of the jails. So think about how many families were displaced, black families were displaced when they're getting, when cops are arresting black men for minor offenses, right? We can talk about the three strike rule with, with Bill Clinton. We can talk about, you know, the, the war on drugs and all these different things and people that were going away for a long time for nonviolent crimes. Now these kids are growing up without their father. The kids are growing up with just their mother who many times has to work multiple jobs and is never around because they have to work to support the family by themselves. So it's like it's those type of systems that were put in place that I think the average person doesn't know about to see like, oh, this is how this came to be. And it's Mm -hmm. this whole long line that literally started 400 years ago with slavery and then it moved into Jim Crow and then it moved into mass incarceration. And there's a, there's a great documentary on Netflix called uh, The 13th, mm. right? Named after the 13th Amendment, but it really talks about all of this systemic 
you know, racism and inequality and all the different levels that it's had and how it's grown over these 400 years that the average person doesn't know. And like even me watching that, I watched the documentary twice and both times I watched it, I'm just like, wow, I can't believe how much I didn't know. So like circling back, it's really all about education and like really being able to educate ourselves so we can see like, oh, okay, now that I'm aware, I can make a choice. Yeah. So the awareness and the education is key. Yeah. And I think with all of this stuff that we're talking about, you know, the intention isn't really to, at least, at least I don't think it is. Our intention isn't really to like shit on any one particular type of person or but it but with that being said it is just accountability right and accountability and awareness because like Alvi's saying you know these are deep-rooted systemic issues so the more that we can all be more educated on them including myself you know the better we can be because when you know better you can do better you know and I and I think we can all step up Every single person can be better and can show up in a more powerful way, whether that's whatever race you are. If you're a father right now, understand that that's such an amazing, beautiful and important responsibility that you're bringing another human being into the world and understand that they're going to shape a bunch of their reality on that experience that they're having from you. Right. So how are you showing up? You know, same thing if you're a mother, you know, it, we all have really powerful, important roles in this lifetime. And sometimes we don't recognize that, that our actions, our words influence, not just ourselves, but everyone in our environment. So, you know, I think, I think right now, you know, I, I, I know I'm being called to serve. For those listening, maybe it's a good time to tap into service and seeing how you can make a contribution in your family, most importantly, and in your community to, again, bring more love, bring more awareness to the situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think awareness is key. I think in order for this change to occur, it's going to be a collective effort. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take our, our black brothers and sisters, our white brothers and sisters, our Hispanic brothers and sisters, our Asian brothers and sisters, literally everyone to come together and really change the systems that are in place. Yeah. And I don't think like right now, especially growing up, like it's nobody's fault. However, it's all of our responsibility. Mm, I love that. I love that because I feel like, dude, I'm going to be honest with you. It was kind of weird traveling like right as the protests were going on and in the airport, like, you know, a bunch of the people working at the airport security and stuff are black. And like, it was like almost like I wanted to apologize to them for everything going on. And, and for me, it's just like, Again, like we what like we mentioned, understanding, I think you put it beautifully. It's like not one person's fault, but it's all of our responsibility. And I think it's like what role can you play? How can you be part of the solution during these times and and not turn a blind eye? Bring that bring that awareness. hundred percent. Bring that awareness and 
even with the conversations, understand that not everybody is going to want to be a part of this change. And if they don't, that's okay. Don't waste your time and energy trying to change that person. Keep it going and work with the people who are allies in this and who want to make the change. Because if not, you're just going to waste your energy and you're not going to have your peace. Mm. So I think it's really important in this time, like find out who are the people that want to help and be there and be of service and do it in a way that is authentic for you. And like I said earlier, this is going to be messy. Yeah, It's not going to be super clean. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be kumbaya. There's going to be some tough love involved. And all of that is okay. Don't take it personally, you know, don't don't take it to heart, you know what I'm saying? Like, even like the white guilt, you know what I mean? Like, even the white guilt, like, feeling guilty is not going to change this, Yeah. right? Taking action, being an ally and creating change through service, through donating to causes that support this, that, you know, that's what I think is most important at this time. And that's the energy I'm coming from. Yeah. And I love that. And I think... I think we will definitely continue this conversation, you and I. And I also think, you know, for you, and we've had this conversation before, is like, as a black man in the health and wellness space, I think right now is like the time for you to really get this message out there and, and, and share your experiences and also empowering others and letting them know like, hey, this is what's possible. This is where I came from. These were my experiences as a kid. These were the adversities that I overcame. This is what I'm doing now. And if I can do it, you can too. Yeah, I love that. And and that that message, your mission is so powerful. And I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to really share it here and have an open discussion about this. For sure. And, and just continue this because... Again, I know you're leading a call later for Live Ultimate at six o'clock. And I think it's just really, really valuable that we're, we're providing that information and you're sharing your experiences and you're stepping up as a leader. And I, I hope everyone takes that and uses it as inspiration to do the same. And remember, like Alvi mentioned, you know, prioritizing your self-care that's a way to improve the situation because then you're going to be coming from a place energetically with more with more love with more attention and you're not going to be so drained and 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 uh, unfocused you're going to be coming from a place where you can really take action and uh so take care of yourselves guys listening and uh do you have any final words yeah at the end of the day Lead with love. Mm. Whatever you're doing, always check in and see if it's coming from a place of love. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes love looks like tough love. And that's okay. But understand your intention. For me, it's coming from a place of love. And let's create this change together. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to be messy. And all of that is perfectly okay. I love it. And also, guys, Alvi recently launched his podcast, so I definitely want you guys to check that out. He is providing a ton of knowledge, uh, a bunch of wisdom there, so definitely check that out and check out his social platform. So where they can, where can they connect with you? Um, I definitely want you guys to be part of Alvi's community. It's special. 
and I'm I'm honored to have you, bro. Like in this tribe as a brother, it's amazing. I appreciate you, my man. Thank you for creating the space. You can find me on Instagram at Mister You Can Two. That's M R Y O U C A N, the number two. And you can find me wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcast at How You Can Two. Love that. And we'll link to all of that in the show notes. Guys, I'm so grateful for you listening. We're so grateful for you taking the time to really expand your minds during this time and to be open to receiving different perspectives because that's what this is about. And that's how we're going to really create a lasting change is through those open minds, through storytelling, through sharing experiences. So I encourage you this week, talk to someone, have a conversation with someone that maybe you wouldn't typically have a conversation with exchange energy with that person and really do it in a way that you're receiving and listening to understand like alvi mentioned it's such a powerful concept so you already know what time it is it's time to be the change you wish to see in the world and exchange energy podcast fam thank you so much for listening until the end of the show your energy genuinely means the world and the best way for me to continue improving this experience is for you to leave a review let me know what your biggest takeaway was from today's show it genuinely means the world to me to get your feedback so i can continue evolving this experience your word of mouth is my oxygen thank you so much for tuning in and i can't wait for next episode.